Well, good morning, LCM. Today is Sunday, October 9th, 2022. Church, we have a lot to celebrate this morning, don't we? (laughs) Hey, church, we have a lot to celebrate this morning, don't we? Man, we are nearing the end of a three-month time of preparation that began during our studies in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, and it's going to culminate in 11 days. Somebody say 11 days. 11 days. As we journey and all converge on Gatlinburg, Tennessee, joining with, you know, 700 or so of our brothers and sisters That's from the One Association Conference. It has been our great joy to get our hearts right, to get our homes right, and to walk in ever-increasing shalom. Can somebody say hallelujah? Hallelujah! Hey, y'all, we got some good news for y'all. Our celebration of God's goodness doesn't have to wait until the One Association Conference. It's right here, right now. Look, we can celebrate all that God is doing right here inside this body of sold-out believers at LCM. So whenever you're thinking about how you've been benefited by sermons, how you've been blessed by the studies of Ezra and Nehemiah, how much edification has happened at your home group meetings, your team unity meetings, and even our daily engagement with the Word in this brotherhood, can you see that this is something to rejoice in our God about? God's hand is upon us, and he is helping each one of us on this journey that we're taking. But that's not where the blessing stops, church. See, these days also have not been without their share of trials. We're talking about some of the difficulties that we've been experiencing. We're just thinking over the course of the past couple weeks, thinking about some of the sicknesses that We've had in our own families, and we know that you guys have been experiencing too. Man, we were even thinking about some of those weird things that have been happening lately, like the onslaught of catalytic converters that are being stolen from Toyotas in this church. Guys, the amazing thing about some of these current difficulties is that you can see how the Lord, in his intentionality, is moving us forward in maturity regarding what we can handle in any given day or in any given week. We as your pastors have been proud to watch you. Not just experience the normal day-to-day trials with tenacity. No, but to watch trials on many different kinds of levels regarding many different areas of your lives seemingly happen all at once. And yet... You guys are rising in your ability to be steadfast, to raise a joyful psalm or song to the Lord, and to raise your own expectations of what you expect the deliverance of God to look like. And you know that that deliverance belongs to every single son of the living God. Come on now, church, turn with us to Psalm chapter 57. Psalm 57, we're going to take a look at verses 7 and 8. Somebody say there when you get there. Psalm 57, verse 7 says, My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. Hallelujah! Come on, LCM, your hearts are steadfast, even as you are praising God 
in the midst of difficulty. The glory of our God is alive and well inside of each of us, so much so that we have the attitude that David did in this psalm. I will awake the dawn. I mean, I'm going to be the one that is anticipating what is going on. Now, remember, when David wrote this, he was in difficult circumstances. But David had learned that his current circumstance does not determine his final outcome. David learned this. His current circumstance does not determine his final outcome because his trust is in the God who was leading him on the journey the whole time. Church, we are saints that are able to stand in dark times, knowing that no matter how long it takes, the dawn that our king always brings is coming, and it's just a matter of time. We've committed to staying up through the darkness and waiting as long as it takes. Somebody say as long as it takes. See, we don't need to wait for the dawn to come before our faces shine brightly with the joy of the Lord and the glory of our King. Because we are confident in our identity as sons that with each trial and difficult circumstance, we can say with a radiant face. Come on, y'all show me your radiant face today. A radiant face and shouts of joy. We can say, I was made for this. We can say, I was called to this. Yes, you were. That is absolutely right. So that the glory of God may shine brightly in these circumstances. It's a profound benefit to have God's word with you at all times, isn't it, church? It's an extraordinary blessing to have the counsel of godly men and brothers around you at all times. Can somebody say amen? Amen. Just think how much your lives and the families have been benefited by the Lord in these past, just the past three months in this church. Have your lives been benefited in the past three months? Yes. So say this with me. Say, I am blessed. I am am blessed. blessed. One more time with a bit more vigor and passion. I am blessed. Okay, in light of that, let's look at Psalm 116. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Oh, yeah. You guys there? Say, I am blessed whenever you're there. I am blessed. I am blessed. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? It's yeah. a very good question. I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So how are we to respond to all the Lord's blessings and benefits in our life? That's right. We lift up the king's cup of salvation and without hesitation... We call on his name. So remember that none of our unsung heroes were looking to have their song of greatness reach the top of the charts. All of them were looking to make Adonai's name great and to give him 100% of the glory. 100, that's right. So with that in our crosshairs and aim. That his name is the sole thing that we are focusing all of our efforts on. We are to faithfully expend ourselves in fulfilling our vows to the Lord. I'm talking about letting your yes be joined by your amen. I'm talking about publicly declaring our commitment to his direction and very lordship in our lives. In this state, there's no second guessing, man. There's no backing up, no renegotiating but unswervingly holding 
till it has passed before our lips in front of his throne. I mean, when I think about this, I think of men like Spencer McClain. Spencer is a man of his word. His yes is joined to his amen. I think of a very elevated and height figure in our church. I think of Andrew Hayes. Andrew Hayes is a man of his word. But with all that said, I want to focus on one particular man. That man is Juan Grimaldo. Juan is a man of his word. Juan is a man who takes his vows seriously and is committed to the Lord. Juan, stand up for us. We want to see something in action when it comes to taking your vows seriously. Juan, why don't you make your way up here? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Hold on. Grab Graciela and bring her up here with you. Juan, you got something to say about this? All right. The Holy Ghost sent us a text message to match. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Grace, as, as I've been praying, I'm thanking God every day. I'm glorifying and um, glorifying God and Jesus for the transformation of a new life. For the new testimony that's taking place right now. Amen. He has identified the godly traits and uh, your presence is vibrant. You are positive. You are a godly servant, a humble godly servant. I see that how caring and loving you are to all the kids, and you will be a wonderful, loving mom. You are, you are gorgeous. You have a beautiful smile that shines in my eyes. I need you, and I want you. Your Abigails are my strength. Your Abigails are my better half. You are um, essential to fulfill my purpose what God has called me up to, for us to do. Um, my mezuzah is to lay down my life as a servant for others and to edify others, as Ephesians 4.12 says. I know for sure God will use us to speak life and to give hope to the broken, to the lost, to the dead, and to the fatherless. Amen. We will participate and build up his kingdom, and it will be done. Um, I, would love, I would love to share a scripture with Hosea 2, 19 and 20. I will betroth you for, I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you in righteousness and justice and love and compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness and I will acknowledge, and you will acknowledge the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> I will bring you out from all under, from under all authority. I will free you from an incomplete single life. <laughs> I will redeem you with my personal sacrifices. I will take you to be mine. I will be your husband, your priest, your provider, and your protector. Grace, will you marry me?
Come on, shout some more hallelujah. Oh, we got reason to celebrate this morning. Olale! We are, man. Yeah, we're... that's right. That's right. Man, isn't it good to see life springing up in our church? Look, I can't help but recall when Juan and Grace first walked through the doors of LCM. My, how God has transformed them. Look at the life that is in their eyes and in their deeds. I want to point to something, though. Their journey to the doors of LCM, in that God had in mind the whole time, of the moment we just experienced and witnessed here on the stage. He had it ready and prepared to bestow upon them. And because of their full, wholehearted attachment to God's will rather than their own, that's how they arrived at this point on the stage. Oh, and this is just the beginning. There's so much more left in their journey. Guys, isn't it incredible to watch a moment like we just saw and to know that God had that on his heart and on his mind. He had it prepared for those two since before they even walked through the doors of LCM. How amazing is that? Guys, that, that immediately makes us think about the father of our faith. We're talking about Abraham. As we're contemplating this, turn to Genesis chapter 12 with us. As you're going there, say, man, I'm getting there. Man, I'm getting... We're going to talk about the father of our faith for a moment. This, the first, the OG sojourner of the faith. We're talking about Abraham here. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Guys, we're talking about from the very beginning of Abram's call here. What did he have to do? He had to leave all comfort. He had to leave all familiarity. In order to start his journey toward a land and toward circumstances that were otherwise completely unknown to him. Yeah. With the first committed step, though, Abram was establishing convictions in his soul. The very convictions that would be necessary so that he would be provided with the ability to reject all future temptations that would seek to cause him to compromise God's call. You see, God had something in his mind, in his heart for Abraham from the very beginning that he was always aiming Abraham at the entire time. The blessings that would follow, though, they weren't for Abraham alone, guys, and you know that. He was blessed in order to be a blessing. 
for all families of the earth and for all time, which was God's original intent in calling Abram all along. Guys, think about that for a moment. Think about it in your own lives. Think about the way that God has called each and every one of us. There's a couple steps to this process. We, we begin to walk with the Lord and we begin to leave everything that we know behind and we start on a journey. But as we begin to stumble into these things most of the time, we recognize that God had these blessings. He had these promises in step and in line from the very beginning. But that's not the end of it. What happens after that? you begin to get the revelation that everything that God is doing in your life and every blessing that you have and every uh, uh, enablement that he's given you, everything is for the blessing of those around you and for the blessing of the generations. Guys, we're getting that revelation right now. This is the model for our walk of faith. Forsaking all attachments, the ease that our flesh so readily clings to, so that our lives are able to leave an inheritance. So, with all of that said, we don't want you to miss some very important details about the passage that we just read, because it'd be easy to miss. We think of Abraham, and we think of all the blessings, we think of all the things that we've gotten to partake in after Abraham were his sons, that's awesome. Guys, in this moment, Abram was dwelling in a tent. He was in a tent. Secondly, in this moment, Abram had absolutely, positively no idea where he was going. No idea. And thirdly, it wasn't just that. Abram didn't really know any other details about his journey other than God had told him to go. That's it. There was nothing else. This is the whole reason that the faith of Abraham is so special, though, for these reasons. While he, does, while he is dwelling in a tent, and he knows almost nothing about where he's going, he does know something for sure. Listen up to this. What he does know for sure is that he knows the one who is telling him to go. And he has the promise that what is being done In the end, it will turn out to be a blessing. Abraham only knows that God spoke and that the promise that he spoke is to be trusted. Come on, somebody say amen to that. Look, we want you to make sure that you get this principle today. Turn with us to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to take a look at a couple of verses that confirm exactly what Pastor just said. And we're going to engage with them together. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. It says this. By faith. Somebody say, by faith. By faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Okay, let's put this in our modern context. You know so much more about a trip that you're about to take in 11 days than Abraham had about where he was going to settle for his generations in the, in the decades and millennia to come. You already know infinitely, infinitely more than what Abraham did here. See, he went not knowing where he was going. Just went because he knew the one who was speaking to them. Now, let's talk about this in our own lives. 
But, well, pastor, I, I do have an idea of where I'm going. I mean, I feel like the Lord has spoken to me about where I'm supposed to be going. I mean, I have a mezuzah and a family banner. See, I've got some directions. You don't know the steps that it's going to take to get there. You have no idea. You have no idea about the pit stops, about the detours, or what it's going to look like to you as a detour. God has a trip for you, but you don't really know anything about the trip. And if you still think you do, then you really don't know anything about faith yet. I know where I'm going to land. If that's really the Lord... You also don't know where you're going to land before you get to that place. You actually don't know the other steps and phases and cycles and decades that it's going to take for you to get to that place. Even if you're right, even if you're right, you have no idea where you're going. The sooner that we can get this today, the sooner it's going to change everything about your life. We live in a digital day where we want everything mapped out. Step by step, baby. Turn left ahead. In 200 yards, turn right. That is not the kingdom of God. You don't get a predetermined outcome. You don't get to have a five-year plan. Nope. Not a five-month plan. Not a five-week plan. The truthfully... The sooner that we all get this, you don't need a five-minute plan if God is leading you. Because you're going to think about the wrong directions anyway. Oh, pastor, I'm not really doing that. I mean, I mean, I don't have a time set in my mind. Yeah, but, what, but you're a liar. What, what you mean is you know you're not supposed to have a time set in your heart. But tell me when you have to wait six months, one year, five years, and you thought you should have already been... Has anybody ever thought, I, shouldn't we be there I by have. now? That means that you were wanting a pre-prescribed course. And Abraham shows us, you don't get to know where you're going. You don't get to know it. Has anybody ever, ever been like me and say, God, I'm going to serve you, but I just won't do that right there? Has anybody? No, it's just me. I got five people in the room. I will never do this in my life. God, I love you. I'll serve you. I will never do this. And what does God usually intend for you to do? That right there. That. I will never. I never want to be a principal of a school. Yeah, see, I was trying to determine my course, and God made me do it. And I realized in doing it, it was his intention the whole time. But I was predetermined in these things. By the way. I, I do this. I still do this all the time. But I'm learning. God, I don't need to know anything about this course. I just need to look to the one who is calling me and trust that you're going to work this out. That's a great word. Verse 9. That was one verse. Verse 9. <laughs> By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. Oh, you thought that that verse meant that it took faith for him to start, and then he landed in the spot, and then the faith was done. <laughs> By faith, he went to live in the land of promise. What gets you there is faith, and that faith is just the beginning, and you have to walk more in faith as each season goes on. This is better than you're responding. 
but it's okay because you're going to get it. The verse goes on to say, as in a foreign land. Yeah, it's foreign for you to actually live in faith. You actually, it actually takes something completely different than what you are. You have to go to this land by faith. You have to live in the land by faith. Living in tents. I'm going to help you with something. If you're like me, you've read this many, many, Hebrews 11, how many times have we read it? Listen to this. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Living in tents. What does it mean to live in tents? Right now in our modern society, we go and do it, and it's fun for a camp out one night, maybe a whole weekend. Woo! We get to live in tents. Why? What is the expectation when you are living in a tent? Can you guys see the Rayosaurus in a little pop-up tent for the rest of their lives? Come on, man. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you, right? You, that was for Baj, by the way. I wasn't going to sing it, but then I was like, Baj will, Baj will appreciate that. Living in tents or temporary dwellings. Why? Because you expect to move around as you need it. As needed. You're not having to plant your own feet there to give you some type of confidence. You're expecting to move. Take down the tent, move it where the sheep are. Tear down the tent, move it as the weather permits. Tear down the tent and move exactly where I need. You know why? Because I'm living in a tent. But he's not just living in a tent. He's living in a tent with Isaac, that's his son, and Jacob. You mean this is a generational thing? You mean it's not just us enduring something uh, difficult so we can settle and not to have any difficulties on our kids or our grandkids? That is not the expectation of real faith. That is not the expectation that we're supposed to have in this journey. How was Abraham able to do this? Look at verse 10. For he was looking forward. Somebody say looking forward. Looking forward. To a city that has foundations whose designer and builder is God. See, Abraham knows the one who is telling him to go, and he has the promise that what is being done will be a blessing. So he's looking forward to it. How much are you looking forward to not knowing the course that you're supposed to walk on? If you're looking forward to the one who called you, you don't need the roadmap because you know the character of the one who called you, and that lets you look forward to the journey. It's courageous. You actually start to have an eager expectation at the fulfillment of the promise because you're like, well, this is kind of exciting. I don't know how this is going to work out. I, I know it's supposed to be that I'm mature and I'm supposed to tell you that I got all, got all figured out. As your pastor, Sue, was saying, we got almost nothing figured out. The only thing we got figured out is the one who's called us to do what we're doing. You know, when I'm thinking about Everything that Pastor is saying. One, I can't get the image of the rear sores in the pop-up tent out of my head. <laughs> I think that is glorious. They are the kind of family who would love they the would unknown and, and journey. So, look, we're about to take a journey uh, to Gatlinburg, right? And what is the number one thing that kids say about five minutes outside the house? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? No, we're not there yet. What a blessing it would be is that throughout the journey, even right out the driveway to the landing point, 
that your kids are going, thank you so much, Dad, for that last thing you did, and I'm looking forward to it being a blessing. I have no idea where we're going. I don't even know how to drive, but, man, I trust you, Dad. You know I'm not talking about our kids. I'm talking about us. So Abraham's great-grandsons, a.k.a. Judah and his brothers. They were also sojourners that were put on a course of unknown destinations, uncertain outcomes, and unforeseen circumstances. That's because it's not just Abraham, not just Isaac, not just Jacob who go through this God-ordained process. It's everyone who desires to take up the faith of Abraham and follow the Lord into the unknown. So we're going to pick up the story in Judah with Judah and his brothers at the point where these men are having uncertainty about even their food provisions. This is during a time of famine. And that uncertainty led them back to their brother, Joseph, who is also known as Zephaniah, the savior of the world, the very one who's in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Judah and his brothers have just spent a glorious, wonderful night with their brother Joseph. They were eating, and they were drinking. And they, they were, were drinking. A, a great time together. Great time. But now, it was time to depart on yet another leg of their journey through uncertainty. So let's see what happens next in Genesis 44, starting with verse 1. Now Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of his house. Fill the men's sacks with as much food as they can carry. And put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack. Along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. As morning dawned, the men were sent on their way with their donkeys. So let's take this first and foremost from the perspective of Zaphonath Paneah, Joseph, our messianic figure in this story. He's setting the stage for their long-term provision through restoration, and they don't even know it. The easy part of the story is the temporary provision of food and grain for these men as they make their journey back home. You can see that in the Peshat in the text. It's real easy to see there. Joseph, though is instead focused on provision and blessing that will sustain them long after this particular round of food and grain are long spent. From Judah and his brother's perspective. Yeah, that's our perspective. So listen up. They were just happy to make it out alive without Benjamin or any of the other brothers entrapped in slavery for the rest of their lives. Man, they were like, man, we're making it out. No one got trapped or tied up in a basement somewhere in Egypt. This is fantastic. All they knew is that they were headed through a desert once more, back to their father, and that they had some sacks that they were sent back with. That's all that they knew about the situation. We know that some of you are already beginning to make connections between the brothers in this part of the story and... Maybe your own lack of awareness and understanding about what's really happening around you. And just like the brothers, we know that you are also carrying 
some very precious cargo around with you that you just don't know about yet. Verse 3 says, as morning dawned. So when the morning dawned for Judah and his brothers, they were not exactly waiting for it in eager anticipation of what might happen. In fact, they were all probably still suffering from a massive hangover, thanks to that great celebration that they had together the night before. And we would get into that, but that's outside of our scope of teaching this morning. (laughs) So church, what were the three things that this messianic figure in Joseph put into the sacks of Judah and his brothers before they left on their latest journey? The three things that were put in their sack was their food, there was silver, and there was Joseph's personal cup that was put there. Everybody say food. Food. Silver. Silver. Joseph's cup. Joseph's cup. It would be so easy to focus on the temporal and superficial means of provision that is presented here by Zaphonoph Paneah that he's given to Judah and his brothers. I mean, he has filled their sack here in the most abundant and generous of ways, and they don't know it yet. You can't forget that part. We're reading, and you are thinking about Judah and his brothers. They don't know that they have food, silver, and Joseph's cup in their sack. They have as much food as they can carry. They even have a double portion of silver in their possession. Church, the reality is that even before the journey begins, they have all they need and more. See, we couldn't help but thinking about you in this story. Even before your journey to the One Association begins, listen to me. You have all you need and more. Whether you know it or not is the question, but you already have everything you need. We're going to be those who are rejoicing ahead of time. Does anybody need to really get this in their heart? You need to rejoice ahead of time, trusting in the one who has led us because we trust in his character. I don't need to see the finances in the bank because I know the Lord told me to go so he will make the way. And I know his character enough to know that he has already made the way. I just don't know what's going to happen yet. But I don't need to because I know the character of the one that's sending me. So Judah and his brothers had their sack full of food, had their sack full of silver, had their sack full of Joseph's cup, and right on cue, they are blindsided. I mean, unforeseen circumstances and complications begin to happen in their journey. And instead of focusing on exactly what happened in the story to them, we want to kind of focus on what's happening in your story today. Can we do that as your pastors? Think about the certainty of provision for those that are under your care. I mean, we're all, we've, most of the people in this church gave extraordinarily at Beyond the Obligatory. Some of you are still giving offerings to that. It's amazing. And so what we've done is we've given and we're having to trust. Many of you are having to trust the Lord for things like, I just got to get my vehicle ready. There's tires that need to get worked on. There's some other things that need to happen. I got to now replace a catalytic converter. Oh, yeah, what are we going to eat when we're there? I think it's going to be peanut butter sandwiches for us. Yay. How The fuel. What are we going to do with our animals? How are we going to take care of those under our care? What about the business that I need to close for this length of time so that we can honor God and do exactly what he's leading us to do? Man, all kind of things that are going on here. 
See, but what we can do is we can trust in the one who has sent us that he has already put something, given it to us in our sack that we're going to need, and it's going to be abundant provision. It's going to be more than we need because we trust in his character. See, so far we've told you exactly what was in the sack of Judah and his, and his brothers, but we want to remind you here at this point again. They don't know what's in the sacks. It's no surprise that they've met with some unforeseen complications along the journey. That's just going to happen. Somebody say, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's part of this. But as we pick back up in Genesis 44, the issue here is that the servant of Joseph has been sent to check the sacks of these brothers and find what appears to them to be incriminating evidence. So let's look at what they focus on in verse 16 of Genesis 44 when their sacks were checked. By the way, that brings us to the title of today's sermon. Check your sack. Everybody say, check your sack. Check Check your your sack. sack. Great. Verse 16. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. So remember, church, there were three things in their sack. Food. Everybody say food. Food. Silver, say silver. Silver. Joseph's cup. Joseph's cup. But the focus of Judah and his brothers was only on Joseph's cup. They expected food in their sack because that was the point of their entire journey back to Egypt to see Joseph in the first place. They didn't expect the silver because they had given it to Joseph in payment for the food they received. And they surely weren't expecting to see the silver cup of Joseph himself to appear in Benjamin's sack. Notice that the only focus is on Joseph's cup, though. After a little consideration, you may say to yourself, it only seems reasonable to focus in on the cup. After all, this was the item that will certainly cause their enslavement and possibly even their own death. Now, that was Judah and his brothers, right? But You know that you're not any different than Judah and his brothers at this point, right? You oftentimes have their very same mentality. Jesus has put his cup in your sack. You know that? And when you encounter the cup, and when you only encounter the cup, you have a tendency to react in the same kind of frantic and distressed ways that these men did. The revelation that you are indeed carrying the cup even has a way of bringing out some of your worst emotions at times, right? God sends you on a journey. Not far into the journey, you find that you have failed. You have sinned. You have misused the cup of the master. Or you're given a divine task, a divine cup to drink from, and your first response to that is to have a terrible attitude as you start the journey. Dang. Or you're blessed with all you need. And you find that your first response, even in the midst of having everything that you need, is fear and faithlessness. Man, how did we get here again? Or you're given opportunities that others could only dream of. And you can all you can see is that you failed your brother again with a lack of transparency or with a lack of fidelity. And you're full of the guilt of betrayal and you can feel slavery potentially closing in on you and closing in quickly. 
Guys, if you are only looking at the cup, then all you can see is slavery. Guys, we know that drinking the cup is hard. Jesus himself said it to his disciples. And if that's all that you are focused on, and that's all that you can see, then like the brothers, you're going to be walking around with distraught and fearful thoughts, just like Judah and his brothers are right here. But as beautiful as it is, there is way more in your sack than just that cup. Guys, even in putting together this word yesterday, we went pretty late, like later than we normally would putting this word together. And don't get us wrong. It is our honor to drink from the same cup that Jesus drank from. We love it. It's why we're here. It's what we live for. It's us with the problem because our morale, it starts to waver. Our encouragement is on a roller coaster. It's up and down. That is until we looked at what else God has placed in our sack. We have food that is our friendship with Messiah, and it's right there the whole time. We've been the ones that just didn't know about it. And we have the silver of redemption that is confirmed by the leading of the Spirit who is at work within us, and he's been there the entire time. It's just us who forgot about it. Church, let us say this to you a different way to help you to get it. It's not until we look at the full contents of what we have that we gain both the understanding and the confidence that we need for the journey that's ahead of us. See, there's so much more in the sack than just the cup. Let's talk about all the food, the fact that they were given all the food that they could carry. Turn with us to Deuteronomy 8 as we engage with this. Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to begin in verse 3. Somebody say, check your sack as you're turning. Check, check your, your sack. Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. We're going to read it to you out of the NET. Just a little looking at you, Pastor Nick. Out of the NET. Swish. So he humbled you by making you hungry and then feeding you with unfamiliar manna. He did this to teach you that humankind cannot live by bread alone, but also by everything that comes from the Lord's mouth. Your clothing did not wear out, nor did your feet swell all these 40 years. Be keenly aware that just as a parent disciplines his child, the Lord your God disciplines you. So, church, you realize that the entire story of Judah and his brothers in chapter 44 of Genesis is set against the backdrop of a seven-year famine in which they're only about in year two of. See, they were in a season of being made hungry so that they can be made humble, so that full restoration could occur. They needed to get to full restoration, and a famine is what set the stage for their benefit. Let's just say it plainly. Seasons of hunger and difficulty are meant to draw you to him so that he can teach you about who he is, because that is the secret of what we're talking about. The journey that we're on has unknown destinations. It has uncertain outcomes. It has unforeseen circumstances. But each of those things that I just mentioned are designed, are purpose for you. They're meant to make you hungry for the food that he has already filled your sack with. 
Church, we don't need mapped out circumstances. We do not need well-paved roads to give us concrete evidence of how God will provide. We need to know the one who is telling us to go, and we need to know that the promise that it will be a blessing once it's fulfilled. See, verse 4 here is more of a description of God's character towards us on the journey. Your clothing will not wear out. Your feet will not swell. See, we live on much more than our physical bread. We live on everything that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We know the character of our Father and the reason why He disciplines the sons He loves is to make us more, make us more like Him. So we are always to trust when our Father says to go and especially when the details are unknown. It's going to be a blessing for us, but that blessing is not designed to stop with us. It's going to be more so a blessing for everyone else. Amen. When everybody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the blessing of discipline. For the blessing of discipline. All right, turn with us to John chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 34. And everybody say, check your sack as you turn. Check, check your, your sack. sack. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. We're all very familiar with this verse, but we're looking at the Peshat. Is Jesus talking about steak, potatoes, keto? No. He gives a clear definition of what his food is, what sustains him, what nourishes him, what fuels him to continue, is to do the will of him who sent me and accomplish his work. So your attitude must be, my food is the only thing that will satisfy me in times of famine. I cannot wait for my circumstance to satisfy. It is my food of doing the will of my father. And doing his will ensures that all provision will be given by the Father, even up to finishing every daily task. Daily task. So your attitude must be, I am 100% sure that my Father will give me everything I need for the One Association Conference. Let's make it practical. Let's make it real. So that I can accomplish his will while I am there and return because I'm 100% sure that I am acting within his will. Acting within his will by trusting the one who sent me and it will be a blessing. So the famine of fear and faithlessness, it cannot stand when you are feasting on doing the will of God and accomplishing his work. So move ahead a few chapters to John 15 with us. John 15 verse 14 says, You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Guys, our food is both knowing and and doing the will of the Father. Guys, what does this mean? It means that we are no longer enslaved because of our failures with the cup, but rather we are operating as friends of the Savior of the world, 
the Zophanoth Panea. We are his friends, guys. When you actually start getting a revelation like this one, when you start thinking and living this way, you start to think, wait a second. I need to check my sack right now. And when you do, we promise you that you will find the same food that Judah and his brothers found. And what's more than that, the Savior of the world has provided it for you way before you even started the journey. You see, he knew where you would be. He knew what you would need. He already had the provision packed for you. You just got to check that sack. He's your friend. That's why he did what he did. How did Jesus portray this in his own life? Jesus taught his disciples to pray by saying, give us this day our daily bread. No, it's not. Don't give us 30 years into the, into the future. No, no, no. Jesus taught his disciples right now, today. Lord, give us today the bread that we need to sustain us today. Show us your will right now, mighty God, and we will go after it and we will accomplish it. So many times we're trying to fill in the blanks like tomorrow and next week and next year. Jesus says, don't worry about that time frame. Worry about today and I'll give you everything that you need. Guys, Jesus taught his disciples that they did not need to know every step. As what's more, when you think that you know every step along the journey, you think that you got this thing. And it actually holds you back from the blessing of God that he wants to give to you. Come on, church. Give us today our daily bread. We're asking him this, and we're confident that he has and will continue each day to give it to us because we know the character of the one who's called us. Come on, give a good hallelujah for what Pastor just said. Church, it is time to check your sack. This is what we need to do. See, not only did they have food in the sack, but they also had silver. Somebody say silver. Let's go back to Genesis 44 and read verses 1 and 2 again to put it back in context for us. Now, Joseph gave these instructions to the steward of the house. Fill these men's sacks with as much food as they can carry and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack. Then put my cup, the silver one, in the mouth of the youngest one's sack along with the silver for his grain. And he did as Joseph said. Church, we have a real gem. I mean, a jewel that you might say about what is being found in these sacks. Look, let's look at a slide that will help you to understand the phrase, along with the silver for his grain. Okay? This is a screenshot of what the LXX says in the verse that we just read. And drinking cup, my silver, put it in the bag of the younger. And instead of saying, and the silver in the LXX, it says, and the value of his grain. Now, you may not... Uh, be able to read the Greek there, but it is a Greek word 5092 because we're looking at it in the LXX, and we want to help you with what that word for value is. What is in Hebrew the word for silver? Here it is the word time. It's the word time. Everybody say time. Time. The word time, as you will remember, is the word that is used for fixed value. And we have a slide that you'll be able to download later and see this. The Greek word time is to fix the value. 
And look what's highlighted in green. To fix the value of something belonging to oneself. Church, we're going to help you to understand the importance of this gem. The Savior of the world, our friend, our brother, has put all of the food that we can carry in our sack. He has put the cup that he drinks from in our sack. And, somebody say and. And. He puts our teammate, our fixed value, right there along with it. See, the silver, the redemption that is there, it is because of the fixed value that Christ has already set because he owns us. It's the fixed value that he paid for redemption. The price of his life sets the value of your life. I'm going to say that again. The value of his life that he gave sets the value of your life. See, the Savior of the world kept just returning this. Do you realize that in the story, they kept trying to give away the silver? They kept trying to give away their own fixed value. But Joseph, Zalfanoff Panea, the Savior of the world, kept putting their value right back in their sack. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. That is really good because... What we start doing is we could talk to you about the ways that you and I have tried with all of our might to give away our fixed value. I mean, we could talk to you about ways that, that we have intentionally been abrasive and argumentative to try to give away that silver, that value, that teammate. We could talk about the times that we've been intentionally self-loathing. We could talk to you about times that you've been intentionally self-deprecating. That you've intentionally harbored offense. That you've intentionally refused the will of God knowing that it was the will of God. But we're not going to do that today. Right. We're not going to do that today because all you have to do is check your sack. It's already right there. He keeps giving it back no matter how many times we keep trying to give it away. How about we, try to, how about we quit giving it away? Can somebody say amen with me? We've already got it. He's given it to us in a double kind of proportion. The silver is there in abundance. Somebody say in abundance. in abundance. Your value is undiminished because it depends on the blood of the one who sacrificed to put the silver in your sack. The price of his own life sets the value of your life, and you need to get that down in your heart today. Or you can start by making sure you write it down somewhere right now. The price of his own life set the value for yours. Now, we're going to continue on our journey. Amen. Let's go to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 13. And you know what to say as you turn. Check your sack. Christ redeemed us. From the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham, to Abraham, might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus. Y'all see in the connection where we began in Genesis 12. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. 
So our Messiah, the ruler of heaven and earth, has gifted us with the fixed value of redemption by taking on the penalties of sin that we deserved. This redemption was to restore us to himself and to put both Jews and Gentiles in position to inherit the blessings promised to our father Abraham. Remember that the promise given to Abraham in Genesis 12 was initiated by stepping out in obedience into the unknown. And as we referenced earlier in Hebrews 11, he lived in tents. He lived in a temporary shelter. This patriarchal path of faith was then followed by the nation of Israel as they exited Egypt and headed to the promised land. They had to do the same thing that their fathers did? Exact same thing. And at Mount Sinai, God gave something very special. He gave Moses instructions of how the Israelites were to remember their journey by celebrating their God-given feast schedule. And the last of the seven feasts is the Feast of Tabernacles, which in Hebrew is known as Sukkot. Well, 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 well. It just so happens that the start of Sukkot in Jerusalem began today as we were beginning our service. So God gave specific instructions on how Sukkot is to be held so that God's people would never forget the journey of how God has always supernaturally provided for his people. And we will follow these same instructions of what we must do today. Turn with us to Leviticus 23. Let's read about this celebration, this feast of Sukkot together, starting in verse 39. Check your sack when you get there. So beginning with the 15th day of the seventh month, after you've gathered the crops of the land, somebody say, celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate the festival to the Lord for seven days. The first day is a day of Sabbath rest, and the eighth day is also a day of Sabbath rest. On the first day, you are to take branches from luxuriant trees from palms, willows, and other leafy trees, and rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. Somebody say celebrate. Celebrate. Celebrate this as a festival to the Lord for seven days each year. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Somebody say celebrate. celebrate. Celebrate it in the seventh month. Live in temporary shelters for seven days. All native-born Israelites are to live in such shelters. So your descendants will know that I had the Israelites live in temporary shelters when I brought them out of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So Moses announced to the Israelites the appointed festivals of the Lord. Guys, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, This feast is all about celebrating and reflecting on and reliving the experiences that will remind you about what it's like to trust the Lord while sojourning through a desert. This feast celebrates the fact that Abraham's children have arrived in the land, but it also symbolizes the children of Abraham being blessed, being a blessing to the whole world. 
They are celebrating their journey, and they are looking for ways that they can be a blessing to the nations around them. The purpose of celebrating Sukkot is meant to teach us and our descendants that we stand firmly on what we are absolutely sure of in God's character. And we hold very loosely the plans about how to actually get there. You see, all you have to do is to look at Israel, to look at their journey through the desert, and you will quickly agree that the journey will never look the way that you thought that it would. Never, ever, ever will it look that way. Guys, we're able to fulfill the command to rejoice before the Lord because we are certain of who our Father is. And we are certain that in the end, where he takes us will be an absolute blessing to the rest of the world. In light of the certainty of the character of our God, Sukkot teaches us that it is sinful, sinful, like actually not right in God's eyes when we do not celebrate during this time. This passage ends with the Lord saying, I am the Lord your God. Guys, when you can't trust the circumstances that you can see, when you can't trust what's around you, when you can't trust the details that you think that you knew but aren't working out, when you can't trust anything else, the one thing that you can always trust is the one who called you that you cannot see. You can always trust in his character. Come on now, church. Do you see why with this kind of revelation it's sinful not to celebrate? Can you see that that's really a sign of you not trusting in the character, the name, the reputation of the one who told you to get on the journey anyway? Come on now. See, but we're not going to be sinful in this house. We're going to celebrate what the Lord is doing. See, now, as we're meditating on our own journey this morning, reflecting on the deep truths of Sukkot, let us follow the example of Paul in checking our sack frequently and making sure to share with everyone else around us what we find there. Turn with us to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to show you something beautiful beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Somebody say, check your sack as you're turning. It says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasures in jars of clay, in temporary dwellings. Intense. That's where this treasure is. To show that the surpassing power uh, uh, belongs to God and not to us. Somebody say, check your sack. It is in the tent. It is in the jars of clay that God's power is seen and makes sure that 100% of the glory goes to him and not one ounce of it goes to us. Look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. Somebody say always. Always Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. See, we are drinking of the same cup that Christ drank from. We're, sink, we're having Joseph's cup in our sack, and it is always to produce life in our bodies. Speaking of verse 12. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. 
So death is at work in us, but life in you. What this passage is speaking about is the food that is in your set. That means having the ability to daily receive from the Father what his will is and the strength to accomplish its work for that day. See, this is, and this is speaking about being in a time uh, or constant state of uncertainty, unknown. We're always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. That is the resurrection, but it is much more so our daily habit. And by having daily bread, we are able then to have that nourishment that we need and what our brothers also need to do likewise. Verse 13 goes on to say, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. Guys, this is the spirit of redemption that is inside of your sack today. This is the silver that is sitting there. Your fixed value in the kingdom. Guys, you have the spirit of God at work and alive inside of you this morning. This allows you to celebrate the fixed value of yourself, but more importantly, to celebrate the fixed value of your brother. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Look at verse 15. And listen to what we're saying in light of what we have already presented to you this morning. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of the God. Everything that you found when you checked your sack, the cup, the food, the silver, you are carrying these things, but they were never for you to begin with. They were given to you with the intent that you would have what you needed to always be able to turn to your brother and say, hey, all that I have here in my sack is for your sake. Our response to this reality is to constantly increase our thanksgiving our joyful celebration, our rejoicing in the character of the one who has put us on the journey, knowing that the goal was always to be a blessing to the entire world. Can somebody rejoice in the house of God today? Uh, turn with us to our final passage of today as we see how the Savior of the world celebrates over his brothers. I'm talking about the brothers who are learning how to trust the one who is directing their journey. And who are beginning to believe that despite what happens along the way, the end result will be a blessing. They're learning the same lessons that their great-grandfather Abraham learned. So let's all check out Genesis 45 and verse 4. Say, check your sack as you're turning. Genesis 45 verse 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold in Egypt. So the whole point of the journey was restoration of the brotherhood through the revelation of the true nature of the Savior of the world. Come on, verse 5. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Guys, this is definitely not the time to weep. We're in Sukkot right now. It's not the time to mourn. It's not the time to be distressed or angry with yourselves because of how many times you think you failed. 
How many times do you think that you haven't partaken of the cup rightly? Guys, this is a time for increasing our thanksgiving. This is a time for displaying our confidence in the king. The one who is able to make us sure about our journey. Even though you might not be able to trust the circumstances that you can see around you. We assure you, you can trust the one who told you to start walking. Take a look at verse 6. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which they will be neither plowing nor harvest. See, the famine and hunger are always used to get us in the position to remind us of the journey to draw close to the Savior and receive everything that we need from his hand. There are difficult circumstances that are guaranteed in the days ahead. But these are all designed by God to cause us to be, to cause and be a blessing for us and for us to be a blessing for the entirety of the world. See, proving faithful in our temporary dwellings of trust is the very preparation that we need to get us ready for our eternal dwellings that are yet to come. Amen. Last verse, verse 7. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. Every man of God in each successive generation has been able to say this. Isaac followed in the footsteps of his father Abraham. Jacob followed in the footsteps of his father Isaac. Now you can see Joseph pouring out his life for the same reward that his forefathers had poured out theirs for to preserve a remnant for your brothers and sons and to keep alive for them many survivors. Church, trusting in the God who sent you on this same journey will allow you to pour out your lives for the same thing that these men did. So what must we do? Come on, church, stand up with us this morning. Stand up with us, church. Church, stand up, and we're going to tell you this morning that it is time to check your sack right now. It's time to realize what has been there the entire time. You just didn't know it yet. This morning, we are going to celebrate. It is Sukkot. We're going to celebrate the food that is in your sack by rejoicing over every provision that God has given for your journey. And we are going to continue to trust in the God who provides because we are sure of his character. Church, we're going to celebrate the silver that is in your sack by rejoicing over the areas of your life that, are, that you can clearly see that he has already redeemed. And you're going to trust him for the areas of your life that clearly don't seem to be redeemed. But you're going to show that trust by rejoicing over them until the dawn of redemption brings about the transformation so you can see it. And lastly, church, you're going to celebrate the cup that's in your sack by displaying a confidence in your king that be can be seen in your actions and your emotions because you trust the one who told you to get your feet moving on the journey. Guys, as we pray this morning, we are going to celebrate not the fact that we know every step of the journey, not the fact that we know exactly where we're going or how we're going to get there. We are going to celebrate the fact that we know the character of our God and we know that where he is leading us will be a blessing to the world. Father, we bless you this morning, Lord God. We thank you for your character. We thank you for your blessing, mighty God, and what you will do in us will bless the nation.